0: to the All Minds Matter podcast, where we will be having weekly discussions with guests from a multitude of backgrounds, ranging from world-class comedians to top-flight professional cyclists, talking about their experiences of mental health within their field of expertise. This week, I talk to elite professional cyclist and 19-time national champion Colin Sturgis, and we discuss his experience of mental health within the sport. Thank you Colin for joining me today for the podcast um, around mental health um, if I could just ask you to start off with tell me a little bit about yourself who you are and uh what your what is your industry
1: so my name is Colin Sturgis um I'm a ex-professional cyclist um and I'm currently a team manager or sports director for um british team called ribble weld type professional cycling um, and yeah the industry i i work in and, and specialized in um, is is the cycle industry or the bike industry uh, and all aspects of that particularly my role being the racing side of things and in this case more road racing rather than the velodrome or time trials but we we take a, a, a quite broad spectrum of of racing the sports type the role per se is, is sort of tactical. It's um, I don't know if any of the listeners have ever watched the Tour de France or one of the big pike races. Um, behind the riders, you'll see a string of cars with bikes festooned all over. Um, and I'm one of those drivers. So I will come up to the riders to give tactical advice or mechanical help. I have a mechanic in the vehicle with me at all times. And yeah, we, we sort of, we're there in a multifaceted role we're sort of there as a shoulder to cry on we're there as i say to to help the riders actually within the race as well um work out the tactics that in the days leading up to it and the months leading up to a big event and to set up is it a
0: bit like a coach
1: yeah yeah it is um i have a i have a, a, a small coaching company myself as well um uh, actually, with a friend sorry um, thing and do overlap quite um, you know if you see one of your one of your riders, one of your athletes that isn't doing the right things, you try to you, you try to address that problem um, and you try to you know make that connection with them to to help them along the way
0: so apart from sort of in the races. What about during the training? Are, they, are you their go-to person? Are you the person that supports them through the training?
1: For the actual race, so much. I, as I say, I do coach riders, um, but none of my current riders are on the team I manage, um, which is actually quite a good thing because then obviously you, you can never be accused of nepotism. You can't say, oh, right, I'm going to select rider X over why mm-hmm. um so that kind of negates that which is good um but i've made it known that if any of my riders on the race team ever need you know coaching advice or help in general then feel free to come to me i wouldn't tread on their coach's toes but if it's not working for them just get that second you know second opinion that that bit more of advice
0: Mm-hmm. OK, great. And tell me what the difference is between a professional cyclist and a non-professional.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a question at the moment. Um, <laughs> so I always look at it in this distinction, um, which is, I think, probably the right one. So if you go into something as your profession, you expect to be paid for it. Now, if you don't get paid for it, then are you professional? I don't think so, but you can still be professional in your outlook, your aspect, and everything about it. So it's quite a grey area in cycling. Um, I should should explain to the listeners that cycling is, is tiered, sort of in a four, four-tiered system. So you have the World Tour, which is the Tour de France and the Giro d'Italia and all of those major races. You then have a, a category underneath that called Professional Continental, So they will still ride the Tour de France and things like that, but not as much, uh, and the riders are not guaranteed the same sort of um, start monies, etc, etc. And then below that is where we are, my team, um, which is the continental level. So you can still do a lot of the races like Tour of Britain, but not the major races like the World Tour guys. And then below that are club teams and then you know, sort of what they call the elite teams. Um, it's rare for anybody at continental level to earn big money. It does happen. Uh, I've managed teams in the past where we've had riders on extremely good money, um, quite frankly, better than some of the pro continental riders and sure. possibly the riders. riders. Um, but, yeah, so my team, as I say, third, third, whereby in general, riders don't get paid have to find either personal sponsors or a job
0: um
1: so it's an added pressure for them i guess as a young young person coming through that um it can spur you on because you you really do want to get to the next stage where you're getting paid and you know you can get your own place etc etc um but it it is very very for a lot of the guys and girls as well because there's women at that level um, that, you know, will have to go out, work a nine-to-five, fit their training in, fit their recovery, which is just as important. Um, And it actually does get easier as you go up the scale Mm -hmm. because that's where you are earning your money, and, in my mind at least, becoming professional.
0: Mm -hmm. That's such an interesting... um note because I never realized that I didn't realize that cycling was so sort of not poorly funded but well it's not the same as kind of professional footballers but that does add to the pressure doesn't it because the training is so intense so if you've got someone that is training and fitting the recovery in which like you say is equally important and then having to work a job to fund it that is a huge amount of pressure for people which kind of leads me on to what we are talking about today around mental health and how you know would you say that there is a positive culture that surrounds mental health within the cycling industry
1: no i i it breaks my heart to say that um but there isn't there are um people doing what they can and there are moves afoot foot to, to really sort of drive this home through the British cycling um, initiatives with, with, with the actual governing body. Um, but it's still, in my mind, it, it, it's not enough. It's, it's not something that's spoken of openly. Um, and I, you know, I, I hark back to when I was racing, which was, um, well, I, I quit in 2000, but prior to that, you know, the 80s and 90s, um there were there was no help you know you had you had a doctor you had what they call Years, which gave you massage you had mechanics you had all of these other things but there was no help for anything mental mm-hmm. you, anecdotally I I was struggling with depression um the year I won the world championships which was 1989 and I had nowhere to go I didn't know what was happening I knew something was wrong mm-hmm. and I, I remember going to a team doctor then and saying something's wrong and they were all about getting a blood test or this that and the other but nothing about the underlying issue which was depression mm. and you know it, it looking back on it that doctor should have known
0: mm, mm, mm.
1: but didn't um, so as I say there are initiatives and there are people making where i'm quite outspoken about it um there are other right and managers um you know doing so too my my team rival is a supporter of care um so oh ca- sorry calm um campaign against living miserably which also you know sort of invest themselves in in the whole mental health side of things so it's not as dark as i'm painting it and it's yeah. not as negative as i'm, I'm painting it but it's not great
0: Mm. it's 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 um interesting isn't it because you know I talk a lot to my patients about exercise exercise is so important um for the endorphins for your serotonin dopamine all of those things um, and for anxiety management so when we talk about sports the assumption would be you know you're very healthy you're eating well you're exercising recovering hopefully properly Um, then your mental health should be okay. So tell me a little bit about what you experienced in 1989, when you should have been on top of the world, I'm guessing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it has been incredibly confusing for you. First of all, can I ask Colin how old you were at that time?
1: I was 20 back then. Oh, so okay. I, yeah, uh, at the time, I was the youngest professional rider uh, on the continental circuit. Um, I was living alone in a in an apartment in Belgium. Um, we didn't have the, you know, sort of, I guess, the infrastructure for communications as we do now. No internet, you know, home phone. There was no mobile phones. Uh, it was, you know, it was very, very basic. And I just think that living alone, um, I was very fortunate enough to speak the language. Um, it, it Flemish is my second language, so I'm pretty good with that. And that made a huge difference. But if I was there just as a young guy speaking one language in a foreign country, not really knowing, then, you know, things could have taken a serious serious turn.
0: Uh-huh. Uh,
1: but, yeah, it, 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 was pr- it was pretty rough, um, y- you know, and not knowing where to turn to, not being able to go, right, okay, I, I know if I feel like this, there is an outlet I can go to to get help. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing and that was very difficult as well because I knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would I would get up in the morning, I'd look out the window, knowing that I had say five hours of, of training to do that day. And I'd sit there looking out, thinking to myself, I, I just I can't do this, I can't do this, not five hours, not five hours. And you get into that horrible negative sort of spiral down that well, okay. I'd rather not do anything rather than do five hours badly. So you don't Mm -hmm. bed, you Mm -hmm. waste the time. And after about three weeks of doing and and dragging myself out, you know, I made the conscious decision to come home. I thought maybe it was a bit of bit of homesickness, so I came home for, uh, and then my training kicked on and everything sort of slotted back into place. But for that horrible sort of period of of two to three weeks of of, you know my life then I I didn't know what was happening and I don't think the team did I wasn't selected for races and I think they were more worried about you know sort of me not racing and not not competing than the actual person and you are very much at that level that world tour level where you're being paid good money you're a commodity
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, not a person Mm -hmm. that is changing I have to say, it is changing, um, but back then, you know, it was it was pretty rough.
0: How how would you say um, it, it is changing? Then, what is changing about it?
1: Riders are talking. Um, Team managers. Um, there are national federations putting in place. Um, I guess. That, A structure around the awareness that we're not just physical beings; that there is a mental and an emotional person within that rider, Um, and you know, it's taken as I say, it's taken a long, long time. It's only probably the past five years that it's really kicked on. Um, But you know, I know I know teams that put it in place, CBT therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I know teams, you know, do employ a psychiatrist and a psychologist, you know, sports, sports psychology aside, you know, if if you are suffering, you know, depression or in in my case, uh, bipolar, then, you know, you, you do need that on psychiatric help. Mm -hmm. And just be, you know, something as simple as just seeing that team doctor that has that knowledge rather than just seeing them for a full injury or, you know, my VO2 max particularly good what training do I need to do to boost that you know it's it's having that that, I guess person there that is sophisticated in their knowledge of dealing with mental health
0: Mm. and it and to me you know as you're talking I'm listening up to it and it goes one step further for me because I do a lot of work within industries and 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 organizations whether it's blue light services or uh, you know sort of general corporate areas and I'm all about sort of the proactive approach so dealing with it before it becomes a problem and you know I wonder whether the cycling industry would be ready for a scheme that looks at these these young cyclists coming in not doing a psycho analysis of them but just starting the process off of saying in order for you to succeed in this industry and maintain a healthy mental health you have to keep talking and the, this infrastructure isn't just here for if you fall down let's keep monitoring you and keep talking about because you know you're 20 years old you're in a foreign country you're away from all of your family you're training hugely hard your your emotions Exercise creates emotion, doesn't it? It creates positive and negative. We know. I was reading a lot of research around um, becoming quite, um, you know, tearful after exercise because it can cause that in people. And, you know, y- y- the training that cyclists do is very, very tough. So y- there's going to be times in, where you are feeling exceptionally low and it's having it's. You can't just necessarily rely on the the team around you, because they are they your competition or are they your colleagues? What are they within a
1: team? a Bit of both, right? A bit of yeah. In many ways, you know, at, at that world tour level, you are you are competing for positions. You know, a, a team will be anywhere between four and thirty riders. Um, yet most races are between seven and nine positions <laughs> for a specific race. So there is sort of that inter team. Or intra-team um, perspective as well. Um, so yeah, no, you are completely right. There's, there's, you know, that that sort of competitive edge, which I, I don't think gets, well, it doesn't get the treatment it, it deserves um, because it, it it can it can cause ructions and it can cause, you know, sort of that 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 rivalry. And a, a little rivalry within a team is great. You don't necessarily need to get on like the best of buddies all the time Mm. Uh, but yeah you're right the the emotional side um, definitely gets ignored
0: Mm. and and the rivalry is good and it's healthy when you're feeling okay but when you're feeling slightly knocked it becomes very isolating um and you know we have come I hope the world has come a long way since then, but in certain pockets it still remains the same. It's only surface level that it feels like, oh yeah, we're ticking boxes. So you you mentioned some of those infrastructures that seem to be coming in place in the cycling industry. What is your experience more recently of it being okay to not be okay? Um,
1: again, anecdotally, I've um I've appeared on three or four. Other podcasts today, um, and found out through doing that, and and the the DMs and the messages and the the, the feedback, you know that so many competitors and so many riders and and you know people are truly truly into excuse me truly interested in this and have gone through similar things, mm. which. He, you kind of know deep down that you know it's, you're not just that, that person alone. Mm. You do know suffer of this, and you. But to hear it said is actually so reaffirming. Um, so, you know, as a anecdotally, I've i found through through the podcast uh, that I've done that you know, other riders have reached out and other other people have reached out and said, "Oh, you know, look, thank you for being so on." you know, and thank you for the information that you've tried to put across and and your story because here's mine. And then you start to think, well, I hope you've actually said that to somebody else. And So you you open discourse with Mm -hmm. people um, and you find out, well, actually, yeah, I have spoken to X, Y, and Z. And that person has probably spoken to another two or three people. It's getting it. But I think, you know, like speaking today is it, it's only positive it's it's great because hopefully we're going to have a few listeners here that go okay some of what Colin and Ishbel have said here hits home and mm. you know I, I it's only a positive in my mm. mind
0: i agree absolutely um i what i always find though the way that it takes what the momentum is gained within the industries is when they see a positive outcome. So within sort of coaching or within kind of certain teams or federations, when they see a positive outcome, when people invest in mental health, that's when people take notice. I also notice that people fear it because they fear that if they unveil the brokenness, then it's all going to explode and they won't be able to function anymore. Do you sort of see that a little bit i mean i know we're talking about it but do, do you see the fear of unveiling
1: um on some things yes um you know it was from my perspective it wasn't easy to sort of confront my my bipolar disorder um and to to initially talk about it openly what well, was quite difficult um and it does become easier the more you do um but I, I am cognizant of the fact that it's not for everybody, and not everybody wants to open up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do. They, you know, they would prefer just to go to, you know, someone like yourself, or a professional, rather than get it out there and rather share it. Um, and you know, I don't want to suppose anything by saying this, but I think that's a very typical male characteristic as well: is that we don't share. You know, it's seen as a weakness. You know. Um, I don't see it as a weakness personally, um, but I know some people do.
0: Mm, mm,
1: uh, and mm. I, I have not at all. I, I, I think if I can help just one person through my story uh, or my experiences, then I'm happy Barry. It's helped them, and hopefully, you know, they'll get the help they need. Do you but think, I, do you
0: think uh, that... Um, Because you're right, no one wants to be probed. (laughs) They want to just be able to say how they feel if they feel it. The difficulty sometimes is people don't understand the normal feelings. So they don't realise it's so normal to feel anxiety. It's so normal to feel, and and not in a dismissive way that, you know, everybody's anxious, because I'm not saying that, but certain feelings are very very normal and normalizing them is healthy to do that and also a little bit of perspective but the other thing that I was wondering was do you see a difference because without being rude is the generations changing in age because I notice a difference in in males within your age group are sort of there's a there's a generational difference and some are slightly more forward thinking like yourself so they've stepped into this and others they could be probably with the more kind of sort of 60 year olds that are not averse to talking about mental health but I wonder if the the younger lads and and maybe the generation down from you have been a little bit more open
1: yeah yeah correct there is more um more openness, and I think less fear as well. Judge. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think also that um, that comes in. Uh, you know, it, it, the, the the industry, the the racing side of things has become a lot more open in the last say let, let's say ten years. So, of course, that generational thing comes in. Um, yeah, you know, I won't say, uh, I know another rider in a, in a very similar vein to myself who suffers bipolar and, you know, doesn't want it. No, you know, he's, he's happy to take his meds and he's happy to race knowing that, you know, he's never going to get the performances out due to the meds. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's, he's probably five years older than me, so he's, he's sort of closer to that 60. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other side of the, I do know. Some 20-year-old guys are just starting their career that, are, you know, will drop me a line and say, hey, Cole, I'm feeling really down, mate. What's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's nothing wrong. They, they just see it as, as, as it's normalised, I guess. You know, it's fine to feel that way. There's no weakness. There's no judgement. There's no fear.
0: Mm-hmm. and that's down to you being able to keep those conversations open isn't it people obviously don't fear the judgment with you and that need the batter needs to continually be passed on what I was going to ask you about the you know what what are the certain pressures around mental health and I was thinking about you mentioning bipolar and the medications that are prescribed for that which would have a performance related issue do you see that there are certain things that people wouldn't want to be diagnosed because of it reducing performance?
1: Yeah, yeah, I can, I, I can. I mean, again, only, only just judging on my, my own um, sort of total evidence. I guess you know when I was on some of the quite harsh psychiatric drugs, creatopine and lithium and stuff like this, you know, I, I would get injured a lot. Because it does affect the, the muscles, the tendons, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the sort of the lethargy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mentally the, the, are doing, you know, and psychiatrically, the, the drugs are doing their job, but the physical things, they're not. They're, they're quite harsh and detrimental to the, to the actual physiology. Um, and I'm wondering, actually, as, as I'm speaking here, I'm wondering if that's, sort of a negative for some people that would rather not open up, end up getting put on quetiapine or, you know, whatever, um, because of that, because it is, I guess, performance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) de-hancing. So, yeah, that's that's a very good point. Actually, I've not really thought of that until now.
0: It's also not just them personally. It may also, I mean, I'm not wanting to uncover some kind of, uh, you know, undercover issue in the cycling industry but you know you're not going to want psychiatrists aren't going to want to be diagnosing their patients that have a due that are earning money because they're good riders and they know that the best thing for them would be a performance enhancing medication I mean it's a stigma isn't it that that will be a stigma
1: yeah very much so yeah I mean I I'd, I'd love to know you know, at sort of well, at any level, you know, the amount of right athletes in general across across all sports that are on antidepressants or antipsychotics or, or anything like that, because there doesn't there doesn't seem to be any any literature out there, or if there is, you know, I haven't found it. Um, but yeah, that's again, that's a very very good point, well made. That you know, why why would you chance your investment? a lot of these riders two hundred and pound a year mm-hmm. uh, you put them on you know a drug that uh, actually help them mm-hmm. uh, yeah you've lost that indice.
0: you have and and i and i think uh, you know it's important to find the solution in it and to me the solution is you know um looking after them, monitoring supporting therapeutically looking at alternatives if at all possible but also ensuring that if the balance tips then we are prepared to invest in this element of you as opposed to uh, be fearful that you're going to reduce in the investment by giving you a medication I also think it's about what happens to you afterwards because I always imagine you know for cyclists eight. You know, you work so hard; it's so grueling. It reminds me of racehorses. Are you just sort of left then um, to to wander around in a paddock on your own for the rest of your days, or are you given some level of support? Because there must be a level of come down from the euphoria of being a pro.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it, again, you know, in my case, and my generation, um, I'm I'm 52. Um, you know, when I, when I quit racing, there was, there was no, no help. There was nothing, literally nothing. I remember going um, at the time I lived in Sydney and I'd I'd quit. I I didn't know what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Um, And I I took myself off to find, you know, a a sort of self-help coach because I didn't know what to do. Mm. Uh, And I remember, this particular person saying like oh well you know doesn't the the federation the the cycling federation offer any sort of aftercare no not at all once once you quit the sport that's it um so again i know that there are some moves in place to do this and you know I, i i don't know through british cycling themselves what they are doing i do know that there are moves, but to to put this in place, and there are other, you know, organisations and and affiliations and and what have you that are pushing for more support after racing, um, because it is very important. Because <laughs> you've got you've got a fire night, probably fifteen years tops. Um, yeah, there's outliers, but you know, let's say ten to fifteen years tops. Um, and then you've got the rest of your life. And if, if you are for those 10, 15 years on 250,000 pounds a year, fantastic. You've got a nice little nest egg, super. You probably don't need to work. But those riders are rare. Mm-hmm. The average weight, probably for those riders, the other riders, is going to be 30 to 40,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So you don't. Know, you're going to need to find a job and you're going to need to come down to earth with a bump.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you're not going to find something that is as invigorating as what you've done.
1: No, exactly. You
0: have be searching. It's like coming out of the military. I speak to people all the time who have been, you know, in the military and they say they miss it. They miss, I mean, you know, it's a bizarre concept, but they miss being in that place. Um, how do you satisfy that? Well, I guess you satisfy it by going in and supporting and doing what you're doing. Uh, but it's never the same, surely. You never no. get the same thrill.
1: No, uh, absolutely. You know, it's one of the reasons I do try really hard to, to stay healthy and fit and ride my bike as, as much as is for that camaraderie, the endorphins, as you say, you know, that, that side of things. But, yeah, the, the, the companionship, the, the I, I guess just being included, in that, and I could, I, you know, your point about the military is is so, so right. You know, if you step away from that, that, that sort of, I, I don't know what you'd call it. it. It's just, yeah, a part of you is, is just separated. It can't, it can't be easy.
0: Mm, some no might call it a cult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a cult. Um, let's call it a family so we don't insult anybody <laughs> but it does and and you know it, it like like we said before because we were talking weren't we about the the generation uh the generational development of cycling and that you see that when dads tend to cycle their sons tend to cycle it it, it sort of comes into that and I and I see it I watch um fathers and sons going out and things why why is there so few females
1: i don't know i i mean i'm i'm fortunate in as much that my mum um was a very very good cyclist. she represented nice. great world championships um has been a national medal and she's until poor health she's always been actively involved in the cycling sort of particularly the racing scene uh, so, you know, I've always grown up with with both both of my parents sort of encouraging me, and me encouraging them, and and that family unit has always been quite inclusive. Um, but yeah, there just seem to be. I'm not entirely sure. It's not even generational. It's, um, I don't know, to be honest with you, Ishbel. I, I don't know.
0: You were talking before about the kind of encouragement around diversity. What's going on with
1: that? So there's a big push. Um, Obviously, um, British Cycling are are moving forward with this initiative of of diversity in cycling. Um, There's one of the the young riders I coach, um, Red, he's on a a team called um, Black Cyclists Network, um, and they're doing great things. And, you know, there's an awareness now um and you know as your brother will tell you back when he and i were racing um you know there were two or three black riders in in the peloton and that mm-hmm. was it but that's changing but it's very very slow um but the main thing is people are talking about it now and not just talking but they're actually acting on it um and particularly now with the push as i say from british cycling you know, with investment in more women's teams, and I have to say that, you know, the the governing body of cycling worldwide, you know, they are doing good things. They they get hammering, rightly so, but they are on diversity um, and and you know, sort of driving the sport forward. They are doing a good thing. You know, there's a big push for the World Championships in I think it's 2025 in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Now, You know that that's that's an amazing thing because years ago, you literally would've heard of you know a country like Rwanda as a cycling nation, Ethiopia, Eritrea, um, Vietnam, all these countries are suddenly coming in. So you've got this global influence, and it's fantastic, but it's just taking time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it's good, isn't it? It's good to see the changes. And the reason that I talk about diversity is because it's something that's very important. But it also shows that people are forward thinking and moving forward. It's um, and and if they are actually doing things, it shows it's not just a tick box exercise, which is important.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, yeah, it's 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 been a long time coming. And I don't think it's going to happen in the next sort of five years. But as you say, if it's done properly uh, and it's not just that, that tick the box tokenism, then I guess we're on the right track. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been, uh, cycling is a weird sport. You know, it's quite a, it, it's quite a young sport in many ways. The modern side of things, it's, it's mm-hmm. um, But it, it, it's been my past for so long um And to change overnight, it's just not going to happen. You know, everybody wants it to, mm. but it, it's it's dragging its heels. But it is happening.
0: It sounds like it'd be very difficult to happen overnight because it's so layered. I mean, you explaining the sort of tiers of cycling. I I presume it has to trickle down in an appropriate way for and those changes to be seen, and then the changes to happen it's also about understanding why it's hard to make changes without understanding why there's such lack of diversity and without a little bit of research and understanding into that. And I think, like you say, just having those events happening in those countries is an encouragement in itself, isn't it? Um, I, I can't, I cannot believe that it's as simple as a bike is an expensive piece of equipment because well, you can you can buy cheap, reasonably. I mean, a lot of people cycle,
1: don't they? Yeah, if yeah. Don't like
0: professionally.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's and that's the other thing. It's not it's not all about the racing aspect of things. You know, you just take it to absolute grassroots and just getting out. Okay, I'm I'm looking out the window and it's raining here in Leicester, so maybe not today. But you know, just for a family to go out, you know, hire a bike,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can. Relatively inexpensively, and just to get out there. Okay, the roads aren't super, but there are closed tracks and there's paths and there's bike paths. And, you know, it's just, it's not all about the racing aspect either. It's just Mm. get down to grassroots, get it right there, and then, you know, get that place, and things will follow.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it is so good, isn't it, for your mental health? I know that we sort of talked a bit about this before, but. The, the, the chemical changes that exercise make and cycling in particular and it's it's low impact so it's a, it's a, a nice one to be able to do what do you think though about the how a cycling can support people with anxiety because I speak to a lot of patients and it's, I mean first of all patients tend to say to me I feel anxious about going out for a run. I'm worried that people are going to look at me. I'm worried that I'm going to trip up. All of the sorts of things that we all feel. um, That's why we tend to see probably more runners at night. Um, But what do you think about cycling? Because, you know, not everybody can actually ride a bike. So, you know, does it help with anxiety?
1: Again, from my personal experience, yes, it does. Um, I'm a lot calmer um, and... Again, I'm not talking about the racing side of things. You know, there is anxiety and the, there's performance anxiety, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, just from a from an an average day, if I get up in the morning, do my stuff, get out on my bike, do a couple of hours in the lanes. I come back and a weight's being lifted. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, that can be that can be bashing around at 22 mile an hour, or it can be just pootling along. Uh, 15 mile an hour it doesn't matter it's as you say it's it's the it's the health benefits of, of you know the endorphins the everything else um and just feeling fit and healthy i do understand why there's a reticence sometimes you know sort of uh, i'm not afraid to say it. at the moment you know i've put on a lot of weight in the last few months it's been very very difficult for me mm-hmm. um i've sort of been on this road I was trying to get myself fit and ready for the new year, and take myself off to Spain. Got myself in fantastic condition, and then obviously COVID and everything falling in the big heap. You know, I've, I've put on a, a massive weight, and I feel awful about myself having to pull on. You know, and let's face it, you know, most bike riding attire is not particularly flattering. It's aerodynamic. It's cuts it's lycra. It's you know all this performance materials, and it's body hugging for a reason but Mm -hmm. if you're five kilograms overweight six kilograms overweight everything feels a bit tight and yeah I'm struggling to get my bib shorts on here and things feel awkward, and you you are self-conscious I get that um but I think if you can just break that 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 little cycle of um I guess I guess it just comes down to you know the anxiety of, of going out there and and what people are going to think of you the benefits outweigh that massively
0: absolutely hugely and I always I mean there's a big thing wasn't there uh, maybe last year I can't remember and it was all over social media and it was talking about seeing overweight people in the gym and you know being supportive and seeing that you know they're making positive changes and I was speaking to someone the other day because they were saying that they were anxious about going out running because they felt too overweight and I was saying well whenever I see a runner I just think well done good on you for getting out and doing it whether you're going at snail's pace or you're charging down the road to me it's inspirational but you're right, because when we were talking about it before and we were talking about the unforgiving culture of cyclists where there is a lot of banter and it's very, very, like, close to the bone the humour, the clothes are incredibly unforgiving. So yeah, yeah. it's not encouraging to go out on your bike, but getting out there and doing it, the, the, the positive impact of that is huge. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get past that sort of fear of taking that breath and doing it
1: believe it or not one of the things i i've found um, is just for a couple of weeks say say for instance you haven't done anything is, is to ride a static bike indoors then you don't mm-hmm. have to do think there's there's different platforms nowadays there's one in particular called zwift which is you know it's an interactive cycling game if you will and you have a little yeah. app and it links up with your power trainer and your bike and off you go And that, that's a Fantastic tool for overcoming that anxiety mm-hmm. you know training to well for the racing but you know i know i at the moment you know i i train with professionals around here and nine times out of ten i'm fine with it but in my current state you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take a kicking and i feel awkward about it and i i look at them and they're all you know sort of eight percent body fat and I'm nowhere near that anymore. Okay, you know, I'm a middle-aged man now. I shouldn't be worried about that, but I am. Mm-hmm. Um, to break that, I, I tend to use the indoor trainer until I start to get a little bit of confidence and think, oh, actually, my my jersey isn't as tight as it was. That's good. So you sort of honor that, that positivity from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still getting the same workout. You're still getting a really good workout, but you, or a, a way – that that eye that 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 gaze. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Cyclists are uh, cyclists are awful for it. You know, we we the racing cycle looks at another rider and immediately you start to judge. Oh, uh, such and such has put on a little bit of weight, or geez, he's looking good. Oh, bloody hell! Um, ugh, we shouldn't be doing it. We should just be encouraging everybody. It doesn't matter. Like you said, you see a jogger out, you see a runner, you go, good on you. I actually do the same with bike riders, you know, and I I look at people out and immediately, yeah, nice one, you know, and then often you'll go, ah, I shouldn't be having to sit indoors and just go out myself. Mm -hmm. It's just breaking out.
0: It is. It is so much and it's so important, isn't it, because that is also part of the culture that has to change because you're dealing with highly competitive competitive um, people that go into the industry of cycling or that enjoy cycling it's a fixed perception of people who are able to be just driven in a way that is different to everybody else so with that there is vulnerability it doesn't mean to say that you're robots that you're just able to do it there is a level of vulnerability and it's changing that conversation of you know, yeah, okay, there's always going to be a bit of banter because, like we said, it's a family, it's a cult. But, and that's part of what the enjoyment is because you said that before, didn't you? I like going out with the gang. I like that that element of it. And part of what you like will be the, you know, the sort of banter. But there's also got to be a bit of love around it and a bit of well done for getting out. You've put on a bit of timber. Or maybe not even mentioning it, just noticing it and cycling on
1: yeah yeah no that's that's absolutely absolutely the right way and you know there's there's conversations at the moment within the sport about eating disorders mm. um again it's it, it's just been a horrible hidden aspect of the sport um you know I, i've i've struggled with and i i still do to You know, a certain extent with eating disorders. You know, you sort of you binge, then you purge, binge and purge. Um, Other riders have stopped the sport due to anorexia, Uh, and you know, there's there's big push now for for people to recognise this. And riders, next riders are opening up and talking about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, as you say, it's we just need that catch. It's coming. Yeah. it is true,
0: it is. Well, it's common with people like you talking about it. That's fascinating, Colin. I'd like to do a bit of research around that. And I'd like to maybe have a chat with you again about the eating disorders element. Yeah, I yeah. completely understand why, because your body fat percentage is so important on your bike. and yeah. It encourages people. And I also get that the training season and cycle means to say that your eating patterns change in accordance with that which then affects but I'd like to look at that would we be able to maybe have a chat about it again
1: yeah absolutely yeah for sure
0: just on a final note anything that you would if you could wave a magic wand over the cycling industry today what would it be to change it in a positive way
1: I think just be open to what yeah just 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 be more tolerant be kinder, be open. Um, you know, a lot of these catchphrases do get overused, but deep down, you know, just, just be kind, like be tolerant of that person. That's five kilograms overweight. Don't, don't judge, um, get out there, enjoy it, you know, put fear behind you. Um, and just don't judge people. It's, it's, You know, we're talking about mental health. We're talking about performance. You know, at the end of the day, we're all human, and it doesn't matter if, you know, it's a a young kid down the street just riding a BMX bike with a big smile all over his or her face. You know, that's what we want to see. That's, that's, you know, that's better than, than throwing your arms in the air at Tour de France stage, seeing that big beaming kid, you know, cruising down on his BMX bike fantastic
0: great I'm going to get that put on the back of my very very tightly fitting cycling jersey and it's going to say I'm putting fear behind me you should uh, patent that (laughs) Colin that is brilliant (laughs) thank you very much um, and I look forward to speaking to you again to join us next week when I get to talk to Everton Football Club's health and well-being manager Johnny Garside. To keep up to date with new episodes or to catch up on previous ones add our channel to your library and remember to subscribe.